0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Ether is the
1: perfect drug for Las Vegas. In this town, they love a drunk, fresh meat.
2: Come on, buddy!
1: So they put us through the turnstiles and turned us loose inside.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dose of Ether. This is your co-host, Lucian, and joining me as last week is Evan. Hey, what's up, Evan? What's going on? Chilling. Just uh, getting my bearings straight after DevCon. Um, it's, <laughs> I spent a lot more time in Japan than I expected due to the typhoon. Uh, yeah, everybody freaked out about that. That was all people
0: could talk about towards the end of DevCon. If somebody that lives in a hurricane zone... I kept telling people, like, eh, don't worry about it. And everybody kept freaking out. Oh, no, we got to leave. I was like, eh, it's still too far away to really get too jazzed about.
2: Yeah, it right. uh, its trajectory completely changed, and it barely rained in Osaka, but Tokyo got hit really hard. Yeah, it was a big downer because we had a like hurricane party
0: scheduled, which, of course um so somebody who also is from a hurricane zone the like the morning of the of the thing of when it was supposed to hit said hey did you do your hurricane shopping and i immediately knew what he was talking about because you know that's what a hurricane party is is right like did you go buy beer um so <laughs> anyway that was that was amusing yeah it was I a day. it was a no event i mean we were looking forward to watching it from the building we were in had like a 70th floor observatory or something and then there was you know absolutely nothing to watch so um (laughs) yeah yeah instead
2: instead i went to a rooftop hot spring on uh i think it was it was like a really nice outdoor hot spring and like the outdoor part was closed but the indoor part was just fine it's crazy it was like yeah yeah it was, like, a, and I think they call them onsen. Um, and they Isn't had, that called a hot tub? Kind of, but it actually was fed by a natural spring under the building. And they had, like, I don't know, <laughs> s- seven different jacuzzis, seven different saunas, um, and, like, a bunch of crazy massage like traditional massage and therapy type things. Exactly what I needed after like a full conference of self destruction. It was uh, it was sobering.
0: <laughs> so they pipe the water from underneath the building up to the rooftop. Yeah. For a hot tub. Yep. Okay. Basically. Got it. That is bizarre. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It sounds like I, I, really, can, though. I really wanted to do those like mountainside like w- it's going to be snowing and there's a, like a volcano heated natural hot spring and there's going to be like indigenous monkeys in there like bathing as well like that's kind of what i imagined um but instead of it um, uh, bathing you know, with stuff.
0: monkeys like a thing that you often <laughs> wish you could do <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, it's just it makes for a good instagram picture so i guess that's why i remember yeah, okay. it <laughs> it's definitely memorable when you have like a funny little monkey in a hot tub alongside you. Instead, these are like very traditional like Japanese places and you have to go nude in the hot tub. So, it was uh it was interesting that I met like seven different people from the conference there <laughs> the next day <laughs> had like a 2-hour conversation. while. Bathing and trying to sober up from the nights before.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't hit the party scene that that hard this year because I I lost my voice on the day before DevCon. Which, by the way, the whole DevCon I kept referring to it as Day Negative One. And then afterwards, I was like, "Wait, I could just say the day before DevCon." <laughs> anyway, it was super frustrating. Like, it was really. Diff- it- I wish I didn't go because it's just tough to be in a place, you know, like if you can't talk and uh, yeah, it was very frustrating.
2: Yeah, understood that as well. Um, I kind of, yeah, I definitely hit the parties. (laughs) I was going to say I kind of took it easier than Prague last year, but that's not because of the lack of my attendance for DevCon parties—that's probably just because of the lack of absent in Japan in general. So <laughs> it felt like I took it easier this year. But
1: <laughs> the <laughs> okay. after parties
2: were the after parties were really interesting. There was like a, a wide range of uh, like styles, and you can tell there were some companies that like they had the right setup. But you know that like the founders just don't really party that often so it was uh i remember this one party don't want to call them out in particular but they know who they are they threw an after party on a boat and um they had a panel discussion for most of the night in the hull of the boat where like you can't even see the sights that like we were out there for and Uh, yeah so did nobody go to, like everybody was just out on the deck or something? They incentivized people with pizza to go downstairs so I would say like more than half, actually probably like three quarters of the party ended up attending the panel discussion because they were like enticed to go down with pizza and um, yeah there was hardly like anyone upstairs to like talk with and actually kind of enjoy the sights with um, oh, so yeah that was kind they of They rented oversight. out a
0: boat They ran out of boat, and then they only had pizza.
2: Only had pizza. They did have beer, um, but they had very tiny glasses. (laughs) It was like shot glasses for beer. It was like, yeah, it was um, minor oversights, but that was just kind of like a funny example. It's like, yeah, I don't think these founders party very often. (laughs) I was supposed to be at that at that um, at that party, and.
0: I oh I guess it was probably just because I lost my voice, so there was zero chance that I was going to go on a boat, and uh, especially because I was worried that part of it would be indoors, so and like right. really cramped and loud. <laughs> uh, sounds like it's not a problem that I missed it. I mean, the no. parties in general were pretty weird this year, just because I guess people that don't that weren't at DevCon or haven't been to Osaka, uh, there there is a little. DEVCON was basically on a little island, like disconnected from the rest of the city. And, you know, because of that, I don't know how many people lived on that little island. It was fairly industrial, port-ish. You know, there were a lot of containers stacked around at various parts of the little island. But it was a 30-minute trip to get into the city to do anything, which was surprisingly somewhere around a fifty dollar car ride, taxi ride. So for some reason taxis are really expensive in, in, in Osaka. So you know, if you were on if you were in one of the hotels on the island where the venue was, you were you were strangely kind of left out of it because you had to like get the taxi, which weren't that easy to get and pay fifty dollars to get back home. Or you had to leave the parties at eleven thirty. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was strange. Anyway, it's probably not that interesting to listeners. So,
2: yeah. I'll
0: end there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Usually, like the crypto after-party scene goes late. <laughs> I I probably slept between like four maximum five hours any day of the conference because there were so many events. I think the best networking though is after the uh, after the event because there's no time pressure to see things. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun with met new people, definitely made friends. You think you, you think literally after DEF CON is over?
0: Um, no, I mean or during that over night. that day. You mean at the parties?
2: At the parties at night, yes.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah. Which I, yeah, well, again, it was like I didn't get to do any of that basically this year. So it was very frustrating for me. And I was, like I said, on the island. It, the other thing I, which was super frustrating to me, is that I really nailed the jet lag both ways, uh, but especially going there, I, like felt great the whole time. And since I couldn't go out, I was all like sleep every night. So I felt great, but I couldn't talk. It was this very frustrating, very frustrating experience for me. Uh, I've kind of nailed it coming back. Like I, I haven't, I mean, I've been sleeping at, at normal hours. I just occasionally have a little bit of, you know, like right now afternoon kind of sleepiness or, you know, energy lag, but yeah, yeah, it was good. Maybe I'm getting better at this traveling thing. Who knows? (laughs) Anyway, DevCon, what stood out to you?
2: Um, I think that the most noticeable uh, aspect was it was better organized, but not perfect overall. You, th- um, you thought
0: it was better organized. That is a contrarian opinion.
2: Yeah. I mean, I participated in uh, the Prague uh, volunteering, um, so I think I was a little closer to some of like the actual functionality of it um there were some pretty big oversights for sure though there were some pretty big oversights in um for example like the internet of the event um that was a pretty big one (laughs) it's it's hard to have a crypto conference you really know the network latency for your apps when your cell phone plan like caps you at like 2g Internationally, whether you pay for overseas minutes or not, um, you really see how network intensive some crypto apps are. <laughs> and then like there's what? also like what um, yeah, trying like to what send MetaMask transactions, which is probably like kind of the best user interface you could hope for. Um, Interesting. Or MetaMask to Mobile. like ah uh, no, actually I used it through my computer. I don't have oh, okay. any mobile uh, wallets, but yeah, it's my personal choice. Um, and because mobile is insecure, <laughs> it's relatively insecure. But I haven't really looked into it since two years ago. Two years ago, before the MetaMask mobile app uh, even existed, before even Coinbase mobile app, there were things like Bread Wallet and things like that, and they were just bad. They are very bad, actually, yeah. from yeah, a security yeah. standpoint. As in, A lot has changed since keep then. Keep them but...
0: in clear text. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. It was... They were so bad that I just didn't even want them on my phone. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I hear that. they've matured a little bit. I just haven't had the time to relook look through their security. Um, right on. Yeah, Status is and... cool.
0: I am excited for them to go into V1 soon. And when it does, I'm hoping that it's really legit like usable, whereas it, mm-hmm. right now it's kind of like borderline usable, and they're not trying to scale up. But if it does, like I hope we can all quit, you know, Telegram and other junk
2: like that. <laughs> I think the U.S. government hopes we all quit Telegram too. On a well, side note, I, while we were oh, in, you, you <laughs> want to talk about the regulatory stuff? <laughs> sure. I mean, it's kind of unavoidable. It became the talk of the town during uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. The SEC uh, basically handed them a cease and desist that is uh, telling Telegram to give back all $2 billion that they raised from investors during their ICO back.
0: Yeah, that was really the crazy thing, wasn't it? Is they give EOS a slap on the wrist after they marketed hard at U.S. investors and, like, you know consensus back in the day the the new york conference as well as the times square ads etc cetera, etc cetera. they they raise you know billions of dollars uh, and they get like a tiny little slap on the wrist telegram raises an insane truly absurd amount of money but it at least was all from basically you know idiot vcs sorry uh, vcs um so I actually know some people that are that are actually quite smart that actually are bullish on Telegram, so I shouldn't say they're all idiots. Uh, but um, uh, I personally obviously don't get it, though. Um, yeah, and then they tried to give them, like, not only did they stop the Telegram sale that was about to happen, they got an injunction anyway, but they're actually trying to make the Telegram give it all back, which I think is kind of crazy. I, you know, like, given that, EOS was going on. It basically, yeah, it's crazy. I don't know what else to say. You know.
2: <laughs> yeah, it. I. I don't get it. Uh, it also. It the also SEC hates of... chat apps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's a funny thing. Uh, people have, have said it's not unique to me. I. I mean, various people have said it, right? But they went after Kick, and now they're going after Telegram. Whereas EOS, they just like, oh, whatever, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, hate t- they hate chat apps, is all we can figure out.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I heard some news articles saying that uh, this action against Telegram is essentially like a prelude to the way that they hope to approach um, the Facebook, um, they're not going to ICO, obviously, but the Facebook uh, development project and it's kind of like a knee-jerk reaction once facebook announced they're like uh oh if this gets as bad for consumer privacy as like normal facebook that would be horrible so then they started freaking out and just started being heavy-handed because of political pressure now that people were watching um that was speculation but it could also be because uh Telegram's, the founder of Telegram's last company, was forcibly sold to Russian oligarchs that helped them raise between seven to eight million dollars. So, yeah, you also have that. (laughs) It's also highly probable that a lot of Telegram's former investors could be on the uh, US sanctions list.
0: Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Could be, you know, the the Durov supposedly doesn't get along with Putin, but who really knows if that's true? But that that's at least the story anyway.
2: Yeah, um, that well, hides out in generally. Dubai. Generally, when a Russian oligarch wants to forcibly acquire your company for one of his friends, like Putin has done to all state media. Te- uh, or, no, private media that was former state media that they forcibly privatized. Um, usually they try to kill you, and he's not dead. So, I mean, it could have been worse. Uh, that being said, I doubt he will ever step foot in Russia again if he wants to live. Um, but, yeah, hmm. <laughs> he got something for his company, um, and he's alive. So I believe he actually
0: in- got a lot for it, like... Half of 800 million. million. Right. Oh, okay. I thought you said eight, eight million. Okay. 800. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds, that sounds right.
2: Yeah. For like a, basically a Russian only MySpace. Um, right. VK, that had, right? that had, yeah. VK that had major like privacy. And, um, if it were ever to be like put into a different jurisdiction, then they would have to pay for all of the, uh, copyright violations that happen on that website obviously (laughs) so yeah it's it's an interesting company um but my only real problem with telegram outside of all of this is the fact that the uh, cryptography underlying their actual messaging platform is fundamentally broken so broken that you can actually use it in order to like de-anonymize people's activities um but oh, yeah. people
0: have, i know—they rolled their own crypto. People have already cracked it.
2: Yes, uh, there have been indictments um, against hacker groups that actually use their Telegram chats to um, convict them,
0: essentially. Oh wow!
2: To de-anonymize their activity.
0: So the—I mean—the thing about Telegram is that's that the their roll their hand rolled cryptography only applies to the secret chats anyway. And all right. of your normal chats, which are by default, uh, and group chats are just like Google, right? It's open to anybody with an admin login. So, like, frankly, I, you know, even in blockchain, like most of my, probably 90% of my messages on Telegram are not even encrypted with their own little hand rolled encryption. So, hmm. yeah. It's yeah, a shame. It's, when it obviously is not
2: default. It, it's. Um, it's weird that that's the standard for crypto. Um,
0: it is super weird. Yeah, I was very. I, stra- I found it super strange, and everybody all of a sudden started using it because it's
2: what. <laughs> I mean, I think the only reason it even exists in the space is because Signal requires a phone number to identify people. Um, I wonder how hard it would be to have like a keybase like app. That runs on Ethereum that can right. authenticate you on Signal without revealing your phone number, which would actually be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you
0: got out there, but I guess moral of the story is we should all just move to status when it comes out. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Let's down the regulatory front real, real quickly. Uh, sure. A bunch of Democratic senators also sent a hey, that's a nice business you got there. Be a shame if something happened to it, like, like you know, Mafia style, to Facebook about, about Libra. And after that, Stripe, eBay, Visa, MasterCard all joined PayPal and quitting it. And so they launched this week, but only with 20 people and basically lost all their big names.
2: I don't know they lost a really lot of the payment season. processors, for sure.
0: Yeah, to be fair to them, I mean... Uh, Look, I I actually like I've done very little commenting on Libra since they announced it whenever that was June, maybe, Mm -hmm. because to me, it's obvious that these guys were always going to drop out. There's no way that Facebook was ever going to come up with something that kept all these people happy and, you know, and the government like that. I mean, that was just that was like the most obvious thing in the world. Right. Um, Right. If you know anything about fintech, like that's pretty obvious because these payment consortiums start all the time and then fall apart because they all just have competing interests. And Visa and MasterCard want to have a little look and see like, hey, what's going on? You know, look in on your competitors. But obviously they're not going to just sit by and cannibalize themselves. Um, So uh yeah, I mean I you know, we'll see. I still think they have a long road ahead of them. There was a Wall Street Journal article yesterday or today about how Facebook was surprised by how much the backlash was.
2: Um, yeah, Facebook anyway. is always surprised by how much the backlash is.
0: <laughs> yeah, but then it never does anything anyway. So, you know, right. maybe maybe that's their strategy is to just do it then plan an article saying they're surprised and then just keep going right (laughs) um the other Um, the other topic which is that the chairman of the cftc said that it is his view as chairman of the cftc that ether is a commodity so that's officially out there from the mm -hmm. cftc anyway who knows what all the other jurisdictions will say or all the other alphabet soup agencies
2: yeah, that was, uh, there was originally a statement back in 2017 um, with the previous uh, um, director of the SEC that made a similar statement um, that said essentially Ethereum, when it first raised funds, could have potentially been uh, security, but it is now sufficiently decentralized uh, to operate more as a utility token. That wasn't binding because it was only their decision to rule whether it was a security or not, and also that uh, SEC uh, member also left shortly after making that statement. But I'm fairly comfortable with uh, Ethereum's regulatory footing in today's day and age. Honestly, I think Ripple is a good uh, litmus test because nothing's going to happen to ethereum if they don't go after ripple first. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: true, yeah. And all they've done is give ripple a couple slaps on the wrist so far, so
2: which has been hilarious to watch because for me it's like there's one dude that owns like 90% of the tokens.
0: <laughs> That's crazy.
2: Um but yes. <laughs>
0: Well, before we move on from this little regulatory interlude, I guess we should mention that Keybase is actually giving out—if you, as long as you have a GitHub account that's more than a month old or something—they're giving out monthly airdrops of twenty dollars in Stellar uh, to anybody that is a Keybase user and enlists in this program. So, if you haven't done that yet, like. I, you know, I personally don't want any XLM, but, you know, it's not that hard to, to just ship it to Changely and have a an extra $20 in ETH every month. So, I think that's pretty cool. Every month? Yeah, I thought it was just once, but it's actually every month.
2: Whoa. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I don't like Keybase, to be honest with you, uh, although it's arguably a better chat app than Telegram. But, uh yeah it's uh, there's no reason not to not to sign up for Keybase and get your twenty dollars in in x l m and turn that into eth <laughs> all right yeah, so let's go back to devcon uh, yeah yeah i mean how did you feel like the mood the mood was this year compared to Prague
2: i think it was um well, besides the mood, I just I was just shocked. Like I was shocked on how far I fell behind on so many research topics despite like doing my absolute best effort to do so. And I think this was highlighted nowhere else more than in how fast improvements in zero knowledge proofs have happened within yeah. the last year. Right? Like, last year we had three main stage presentations with representatives from Zcash. Um, And this year we had three different, like, subsections of actual functioning implementations built using zero-knowledge proofs that were more advanced than the ones underlying Zcash. Which is just mind-blowing and insane to me. (laughs) Did you get a chance to to play
0: with Unipig?
2: No, I didn't.
0: I heard about it. Yeah, yeah, it was the Uniswap and Plasma Group uh, implementation of Optimistic Rollup. So they can get, I think it's like 250 transactions per second on mainnet with uh, the way they do it now and um yeah it's uh it's you know it's it's a demo so it's i mean it is in production but it's a it's a demo i don't think they will be switching uniswap to it for a while there was actually a big twitter thread yesterday that somebody started uh from zk roll up saying you you know this is all super insecure guys uh, which is li- not really true. Like but I, I suppose if you C K roll up, you know, is, is the competitor to optimistic roll up, so uh I can understand why, you know, wanna make sure people know that optimistic roll up does require you to be able to put a fraud proof on chain within a certain time period. And you know, in proof of work, there is always the problem of miners colluding, so um you know, hey, that that is a potential issue. I, yeah, I think it's like I read, not really an issue, to be honest.
2: I, I read the argument, Any and I, I kind of understood sense. it.
0: It's not even close to being an to being an issue. Sorry.
2: Yeah, I, I read the argument. Um, the argument essentially being that you need data availability guarantees on layer one, right? Um, which currently aren't such a bad problem. Um, and the only thing that limits it is that you just can't have transactions going over this layer 2 um, solution that outweigh the value of all mining rewards until basically that, that period of time ends. Right? So you just have a cap on how much value you could uh, transact over, um, over layer 1. Right, So on this Layer 2 channel, you are limited by the value of how much uh, is being transacted on it according to, like, is it worth actually just DDoSing the network so that someone can't exit within a certain amount of time, right? So, like, this is almost yep. always a problem <laughs> it's a problem with bitcoin's lightning network too right like if it blows up and then everyone's trying to set up lightning channels um, then no one's going to be able to so it's like a scaling solution that has this problem with uh, entry and exits um, and optimistic roll-up has this problem but i wouldn't really call it like a security problem because it doesn't mean you would lose your funds it just means that you can't withdraw your funds within a timely manner which affects the security model and assumptions.
1: Um,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly it's an issue for every layer 2 except for zk roll up. So, I mean plasma and such and whatnot. Yeah. Um,
2: but so, that's that's the mind blowing thing. Like these things weren't even talked about last year. Like they weren't right. even in the ether like uh, in the shared consciousness like no one had thought of it. And now they have implementations. They have competing implementations, which I just find mind blowing. (laughs) Yeah, and actually, the the thing that
0: I also haven't really heard anybody say, uh, which is like sort of the the butt to to your butt, which is you know like explaining like the it's about value in layer two versus value of the mining rewards, Mm -hmm. is that if you theoretically had a whole bunch of of money out there on layer two, then you could like literally go hire some miners and then just like on nice hash or whatever it is, like the buy an app, like rent them, rent the, rent some hash rate and then mine your own transaction. Right. If miners are are censoring you. So, and like, we know that that's not actually that expensive. And sure. If you only get like 1% of the hash rate, but you have three days to, um, to 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 mine this thing then that's like fine right like i don't i can't do the actual probability in my head right but i gotta think that you are like you know 10 to the 7 or or more probably 10 to the 10 in terms of probability of that not going through if you did if you even had one percent of the hash power right so um yeah. Yeah. Uh, plus like always minor like you you're never going to have every miner collude anyway, right? Like that doesn't right. really make sense. And if all the miners are colluding, well then you could yeah. just go bribe one miner, right? Like you only <laughs> have to bribe one mining pool. So I, yeah, I just think like the this theoretical attack is like not even like a real attack in any practical sense.
2: Yeah. It's um it's When you write a, uh, like, specific security standard or uh, an expectation of, like, how the system could be used or misused, um, they're important to keep in mind, but they shouldn't exclude um, a decision for something that works. Totally. So, I mean... For me, it's still a little too soon to jump all in on um, the optimistic roll-up. Does optimistic roll-ups actually use zero-knowledge proofs as well, or does it not?
0: Uh, yes, I believe it does. Uh, um, uh, you know what? I forget. I get confused between optimistic roll-ups and, and ZK roll-ups. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah,
2: I thought, um, so we should probably have someone on the show that can explain to us the, the various distinctions as well. Um, yeah, certainly better than, than we're doing right now. Yeah, because... They'll um, from... Sorry. They're essentially using zero-knowledge proofs in so many different ways, uh, including ways that I would never really imagine possible. And it's progressing at such a fast rate that, um, sometimes it like overshadows some of the other developments as well. But it's just one really good example that like, unless I had gone to DevCon, I probably wouldn't have been exposed to, um, a lot of these projects cause I wasn't even looking at layer two solutions outside of plasma and state channels last year. Um, and now these have a lot of mindshare behind them, a lot of development work, um, and a lot of support. And they just seem to have appeared out of nowhere, but it was just part of the community that I hadn't been keeping as close of an eye on as apparently I should have.
0: Yeah, Layer 2 is is happening slowly. The, the Especially the roll-up space seems to be the place where it's at. I do know there's some, still some issues with... Um, roll up because like who operates the, the, that chain, but, um, yeah, whatever. Um,
2: how about you? What was, uh, what was one of the more interesting revelations from the, from the conference?
0: Well, I mean, the real interesting thing to me was, you know, I guess it was day one or, uh, I think the official day one, not day zero, you know, Mm -hmm. um, It was, you know, the Coindesk reporter Lee Quinn wrote this ridiculous hit piece uh, that, like, used the word Ethereum as a scam in the title and then in parts of the um, body as well uh, of her article. Uh, Of course, she was, you know... She was like quoting, I don't know, Maxie's or whatever. I, you know, she used to be a Teen Vogue reporter, and like, I th- it may be a little unfair to use that against her, but I think she's still a little stuck in that mindset of like trying to, you know, create clickbait and controversy. And frankly, it worked. Um, I, you know, I'm I imagine she got the page views that you know CoinDesk wanted her to get. So unfortunately, it's the perverse incentives in action. But the flip side is, you know, it's pretty obvious to me that she doesn't, for example, read week in Ethereum because there was, you know, certain things that she wrote, which are just, t- to be fair, you know, they're not like super written down anywhere. But like, she should have known a bunch of things that she obviously didn't know if she covers this space. And she had no idea. And apparently some other people as well didn't. I mean, more like tangential people, like a CoinDesk reporter. But uh, it, it was interesting because you know Vitalik, on, you know, I think it was that afternoon he went on this rampage of writing posts on ETH research, basically explaining all this stuff to people. Um, mm-hmm. The the main one I'm thinking about is this ETH one to ETH two transition. I mean, it's been known for a long time, and then Lee Quinn acted like, "Oh, like nobody has any idea how that's going to happen," which, like, that's the thing that Bitcoin maximalists say, but it's not something that is said by anybody reputable in Ethereum. Um, Right. But you know, hey, you know, it's a communications issue, and I don't know. This space does move quickly in terms of research, and you know, things are always changing. Um, parameters yeah. are changing. So,
2: I, uh, I I read that article as well, and I think that the title was intentionally misleading, so that people that were against Ethereum would want to read it. Um, but I didn't actually feel that the article, or at least the content of the article, was very negative against Ethereum. Um, in I mean. I get the fact that she doesn't follow the research aspects of it, but that's also kind of not her interest. Uh, I've read some of her previous articles, and she kind of focuses on the cultural aspects um, a lot more than the technology aspects. Um, yeah,
0: I, I that, agree with that, but she was commenting on the, I mean, like, she shouldn't have been commenting on it if she doesn't understand anything about it, right? Like,
2: Right. Oh. Well, like, I, that's that's a little unfair. Okay,
0: in order to get a good,
2: yeah, why do you think so. It, it's a little unfair to say that if she doesn't understand it, she shouldn't comment on it. Um, she commented. Well, I commented don't think that's unfair on, on, at
0: all. She's publishing pieces that like make inaccurate claims.
2: That's true. Yeah, um, in the sense, if, even in the title, like for sure. Don't get me wrong. Like the title intentionally contradicted the content of her article in the sense that the content of her article spoke very favorably of the Ethereum community and its uh, developer ethos and its willingness to experiment and to try things out. Um, But yeah, I, um, I agreed with the tone of the piece but the title wasn't actually re- re- like reflected at all. The tone of the piece was that like Ethereum is doing the coolest research in the blockchain space and this is the most important conference to go to, period. If you actually want to learn and improve this space. And like the way I had read it was that like, these people were actually literally trying to make the best product. Um, the flip side of it was she was saying that like there's no hard deadline, there kind of isn't, um, and that there are like big unanswered questions in how they'll implement something. Yeah, that's how software works. If you haven't found the best solution, you explore all the alternatives. Um, it, so
0: it, it, what I specifically object to though, is the idea, which is like, we we have no idea how this ETH1 to ETH2 transition is gonna happen, whereas... right. That has basically been decided for months. And I don't think that you should have a reporter covering this and like saying that like somebody who recovers this space, I think should like know enough to know that that's not true.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. Um, it's, it's a weird kind of like some reporting is technical. Um, and then some reporting, for example, like I read one of her older articles. Uh, I think it was like from a year or two ago. Um, I think it was hers, but I'm not sure. Uh, it was basically about going on a cruise for a like crypto conference, but it was not like an Ethereum crypto conference because like they had paid showgirls that were there and they were like the only women at this conference. And it was like a really weird kind of like cultural experience because it was right after the peak of the ICO boom. And like there's these (laughs) get rich quick hucksters like presenting on the main stage. And like the highlight of the show is watching a screaming match with Roger Vare and someone else. Right. Um, That was kind of the
0: one where the author had a bunch of conversations with Rock Pierce.
2: Yes, and then she went like an after party. That wasn't her. her? Damn it! That article was awesome. So you might want to edit this part out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could always put a link to uh, that article as well, um, for like an example of a. It was
0: super super long, right?
2: It was super long, yeah, yeah but it was I mean, also kind of sure like it wasn't her. It was a cultural capsule of uh, a specific part of the crypto community that having gone to like consensus the New York City conference with a U, not a Y. Um that conference like I definitely felt and resonated with some of that kind of like confusion slash like yeah. Everyone trying to get in on this get rich quick scheme that was only like mildly dressed up as technology at the time. Um, right. That was like, it was an interesting atmospheric piece um, in the sense that some parts of crypto that do get covered should be about like the personalities, the uh, types of relationships and interactions that some of these people have in public like, some of the uh, conflicting viewpoints that people share, right? But the flip side of it is if when you cover Ethereum and you assume that, like, Vitalik's research posts are essentially, like, the definitive yes or no, this is going to happen, like, sometimes he posts, like, ideas, (laughs) right? Like that he's not dictating the Sometimes future he posts jokes too, too he posts jokes as well right he posts like the, memes the whole with bit, cats, Bitcoin and cats and unicorns
0: availability layer was like sort of a joke
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean right, it was yeah. like
0: semi-serious but semi-joking right i mean it was like it wasn't a serious proposal like it wasn't like we were he was really saying like yeah we're gonna do this
2: yeah that's exactly. true i
0: mean yeah i I do think it, that, like, Coindesk at least needs to have one reporter who has some clue about the Ethereum ecosystem that they can
2: figure that stuff out. It's, it's weird about tech on, uh, reporting because on one side, their readers don't care, <laughs> right? On the other side, their readers should probably know what's happening, Uh, Because if you had a really good idea of, like, the depth and breadth of the things covered at this conference, um, then you would be vastly more informed and better positioned to understand uh, future developments and how the space grows. But it seems really hard to bridge the two.
1: (laughs) It's
0: like, if you can actually really, like, write, like, understand enough about zero-knowledge stuff to write credibly on it, like, why aren't you actually just, like, actually working on it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Instead of writing about it. (laughs)
2: Exactly, yeah. And um, one of those things is, like, we would need something at, like, the level of MIT Technology Review or Wired uh, to cover it so that it's a subsection of people who are legitimately interested in the science um, to want to go in depth to understand the nuance of a topic enough so that it's not uh, led in through a misleading title right it's, like
0: it, it's funny that you say mit tech review because i don't feel like that is much better than coindesk <laughs> and in some it's ways like,
2: worse <laughs> for uh for blockchain related content yes but like For some reason, they have really good... Anything I've ever known
0: anything about, I've basically found it to be terrible. Like, when I was doing neural nets and machine learning stuff, I felt like their coverage was almost worse than
2: mainstream press, frankly. (laughs) Well, at least it's, like, a good representation of what pop science is. I mean, I can't expect nature to cover uh, the developments of (laughs) Ethereum. I wish they. I could. mean, I guess it. Yeah, I guess it kind of <laughs> goes back to the point of like, for many of these
0: things, it's, um, you know, if you knew enough about uh, about it to write about it, then you'd probably just be doing it. That's true. <laughs> I feel yeah. that as a as a newsletter author, so uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I mean, it is a fair point that like, uh, you know, Vitalik went out and wrote all these posts um, right away, like to. Um, know put them down on paper frankly even like there was a he put a post out about how um there will probably be some contracts which are on the beacon chain right which i think Hmm. really surprised people because that's not the standard mental model that people have of how eth2 works but you know if you follow closely follow eth2 then you probably knew that but I suppose it was probably not written down in a concrete, like this is the current plan kind of deal. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway,
2: it's, there is definitely still a coordination issue because that was news to me as well. Um, And yeah, it, it makes sense now that you say it, but I have to look into the reasoning. I think one of the uh, most like powerful a really good summary of what DevCon uh, stands for, at least, was um, presented by Amin Gunesirir when he announced uh, a Ethereum, like a Ethereum, mm-hmm. um, and it was that the Ethereum community is a community devoted to the uh, improvement of blockchain technology by practicing the ethos of the scientific method. In which it's like truly an open competition of ideas and that respects open source work and uh, free expression and consideration of ideas based on their value and merit, not based on like previously entrenched interests um, that would bias people towards favoring the status quo. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but he put it. Quite nicely. Um, it was also interesting that he he is basically piggybacking off of the Ethereum community to um, jumpstart his own Ava protocol as well, which I think is a pretty interesting approach. Um, yeah, it makes sense.
0: I thought that was interesting too. I'm I'm also curious. I haven't really followed what he's doing that closely. So Ethereum is like a layer two Ava on Ethereum. He's still going to have
1: his own base chain though, right? No, it's actually a layer one that takes the Ethereum base chain and the EVM and changes the consensus. Oh, uh, that's Avalanche. Right, you're right. Yeah. So he's calling it a soft spoon, um, popularized by the Zcash community as like a friendly fork, um, the idea being that that was actually that was
0: actually Cosmos that came up with that idea. The, the spoon soft thing, spoon. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> they were originally they announced that they were going to do it to Ethereum two years ago,
1: and then they just didn't do it. <laughs> Got it. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've always been curious about Cosmos's relationship with Ethereum specifically because they've always been viewed as such like a friendly, analogous uh, partner to the Ethereum community, um, despite building something that I've always considered to be a competitor to Ethereum too, But that's that was kind of like the idea, right? There's people who could obviously be looked at as a direct competitor. Tezos, for example, they had a main stage talk. And I think that's that speaks more to the resilience of the community's dedication to um, openness and free expression of ideas, even if it's competing with... Uh, with existing work that's being done, um, mainly because I think they understand that their mission is more important than um, who gets there first. Or I think it's a it's an expression to the actual dedication of like whoever builds this the best is eventually going to win. Also, because it's open source, we might copy that.
0: yeah I personally think that these a lot of those talks were just bad speaker selection to be honest with you um really like yeah I mean uh, yeah like I I don't think anybody's like against like the if it's actually relevant but I think there was just some bad speaker selection that happened this year and will not be repeated next year um I, I mean I think I, just uh, like yeah. some of those things were like more marketing pitches. And why at an Ethereum developers conference where people have to actually spend like, you know, 600 euros for the discounted ticket. Um, why are people getting content that like they're not interested in? Um, Interesting. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, it, yeah, as you said, like, you know, st- stuff does get copied. I mean, there are parts of like the, there, there's been a, you know, like a little bit of a tactical shift to, um like an eth2 to now only do 64 shards and some of the details in there are are kind of more like near and in fact near also i think went down to 64 shards um a few months ago whereas they were originally planning on doing a more more like a thousand shards like eth2 was gonna do um so yeah i mean you know all this stuff is does have a lot of similarities and um We'll
1: see what happens that's I feel like this might be the honeymoon phase in which everyone's open sourcing their code and they're not fighting for uh, they're not fighting for customers so much as they're fighting for attention from investors um, but that's I, that just seems so unsustainable in just from like the practical, realities of industry and business development Like, I still don't feel like we've found a fully sustainable way to fund open source software development and research um, I wish this weren't true but there's an over reliance on investor funds um, the investor funds have been quite deep until now but I just hope that like this ethos of open sharing and development and may the best man win. I hope that doesn't go away in case like we actually do realize that we need mass customer adoption and that protocols need to live on their own two feet without like support from external parties.
0: Well, I mean, to some degree it has gone away a little bit, right? I mean, Definity is building in secret. They're not building in the open. Um they share some of their ideas, but you know their code is still closed source entirely. Of course, Hashgraph, whatever it's called, uh, their code is patented, but I think it's now open source, which of course is crazy because that's like the worst of all worlds, right? Because if you ever look at their code, then you are basically open, opening yourself up to, to lawsuit risk, right? Like they could just decide to sue you because they'll claim that you use some of the ideas that they haven't had in there, even if like, you know, the ideas didn't come from them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, but, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. I mean, Filecoin, even, right. Like I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see whether building in secret works for them. They now say, we might've talked about this last, last week, but, uh, they, they build in secret and now they're, they're really on the vanguard of, of, of bleeding edge change in a bleeding edge industry. And now they're going to, they think they're just going to launch everything and get and go live in a couple months. And, you know, I think it takes, I think security review takes time, right? It's like there's a whole advantage of having built in the open and had review be possible that they don't have really. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, like um, any... it's actually a very strange dichotomy. Uh, now that you mentioned Filecoin as well, when before Filecoin had their ICO, they were basically publishing all of their work. And that's when they published Libp2p the, the and a bunch of other work that the space has been like slowly digesting and integrating into their other stacks. Um, yeah, we'll see if it is as successful if. They launch after being private for so long. They have enough of the community's mindshare, honestly. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's difficult too uh, to compete against them currently uh, in terms of developer attention, even if their platform isn't finished and it's a public version.
0: Indeed. Any any closing thoughts?
1: Um, Yeah. DevCon is great. Thanks. Uh, Japan was less weird than I hoped it was, but I guess that's a good thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The world is homogenizing. I don't know. Japan is still pretty different in, in some ways, which is cool. It's it's very different.
1: Yeah, it's very different. Um, but it was, I kind of like understood it a little bit better than, uh, I thought I would I thought it'd be like completely like lost in translation but instead (laughs) it was actually quite easy to get along with people make new friends find personable people almost everywhere I went um and it wasn't as closed off it was quite inviting which I'm grateful for
0: cool well on that note see you next week see you next week right. bye bye